We are continuing on today with our sermon series on Isaiah, where Isaiah 61, the anointing, uh, way back on Sunday, July the 26th, uh, we really covered what the anointing meant in Isaiah chapter 10, seems like ages ago, but this is coming to an end, it is coming to an end. And so, but today we come to a, a quite well-known portion in Isaiah 61 and the first three verses. And I'm just going to read it to you there. Isaiah says this, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. All the way through Isaiah, Isaiah has been speaking about the coming Messiah. And in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, before Jesus begins his ministry, after he has been out in the desert uh, and has gone through the temptation, uh, he stands up in the synagogue and he reads these words. And I'm just simply going to repeat what I've just said in Isaiah, but there's a purpose for it. Jesus stands up in Luke 4 verse 18, stands up and speaks these words. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. It began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus reads these verses in Luke chapter 4 from Isaiah um, 61. And it's really that end bit there, the towards the man that says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The world has never been the same since Jesus uh, read those words out at that point because as I've said uh, many times, that uh, Jesus Christ is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all God's promises. We, we don't read the Old Testament separate from the New and we don't read the New Testament separate from the old. The one interprets the other and the other supports the other. And so in Isaiah speaking about Jesus, he has really just come to this truth that time and time again that Christ is the fulfiller and the fulfillment of all God's promises. Because on that day in the synagogue, when he stands up at the beginning of his ministry before he goes out, he speaks those words from Isaiah. He says, today, these words are fulfilled. Basically, in, in your, what you've listened to and what you've said. And you know, Christ is a fulfiller and fulfillment of all these promises, simply one by who he is, the promise of who he is and, and, and what he said he was going to do, and simply this also by what he does and that's how he fulfills all God's promises it was God's promise uh, to come and to uh, in a sense rescue the world save the world it was God's Messiah to come and uh, do what God had called him to do as he left the synagogue that day the remaining verses in Luke chapter 4 tell us this he taught the people he set the people free he healed people and he preached the good news 
Now, often at times when we read passages in the Old Testament, there is an instant fulfillment of them, and there is a further fulfillment of them further down the line. And this is what happens in this passage here, because we have to remember that God's people at this point are in captivity, are in exile, and are in slavery. So when somebody speaks a message of prophecy over them, that they're going to be set free, that they're going to be, uh, the light is going to shine in the darkness, they're going to have an understanding standing of that because of the situation that they have been in for so many years uh, and so when Isaiah speaks here in 61 when he simply turns around and says to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor well what does he mean by that well the background to this is he's found in Leviticus 25 it's simply called the year of jubilee now, the, the Jews, the God had set the Jews up in a special place. So basically, everybody was, in a sense, treated equally. Now, we would have a problem, in a sense, with that today if we turned around and says, well, everybody's equal and everybody's... But God understood that, that there was a responsibility for all people to look after other people, especially those, as we talked about last week, who are probably uh, not as well off or were poorer uh, than maybe other people. So God set in place this system system uh, this process in the center every seven years the Jews were to observe like a Sabbath year so in their farming and their agriculture and everything else that they grew they could do that for six years but in the seventh year uh, it was simply what they described as, as as a Sabbath year that they couldn't do anything because the point of it was that they were simply were to be dependent on God for their crops that year because God was trying to instill something in them that they would have faith and dependence on him in everything that they faced. So there was no harvesting of fruit, the figs, the grapes, anything planted by seed. But as I said already, that it was a, a powerful testimony of God's, uh, of dependence on God. That Israel, the Jews would declare their belief in God because he would simply meet their needs. But after this had happened seven times, and for those who are good at math, seven times seven is 49, they celebrated the 50th year. And this was called the year of Jubilee, which was the year of the Lord's favour. Now, what happened in this year was this. All the debts were cancelled. The land was returned to its original owners. Slaves were freed, and everybody was given a fresh new beginning. And so the people who were in slavery and exile and all the people that, that were, were trapped here in a sense who wanted God to rescue them and Isaiah was speaking about that, they simply, that was a good news message for them. The, the debt was going to be paid. They were being set free because they were able to go back home to Jerusalem. But there was a bigger picture here because there was a picture of when Jesus Christ speaks these words in Luke chapter 4, He's simply proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour simply because he's arrived. He is now the one that has come uh, to pay the debt of everybody, to set people free, and for people to receive a new beginning from him. Uh, and as, he, as he stands there that day and he speaks that, the problem with the people is this, is they have no idea that Jesus is who he says he is. He's simply, this is the beginning of his ministry. If you read the rest of Luke chapter 4, it says they drove him out of the town. At one point, they were going to throw him off a cliff. And the verse in Luke chapter 4 simply says that Jesus walked his way back through the crowds. Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. His purpose was to come and to die on the cross. 
Uh, and so as he speaks these words here in Luke chapter 4, he's fulfilling Isaiah 61. He was simply proclaiming the year of the Lord's favour. And so there is that fulfilment that we see in Christ, but also the fulfilment that will come at the second coming. And so we get a foretaste today simply of what Christ has done. Because really the main part of the passage that I want to look at is really what verse 3 says. Because I think this is so important for us in the time that we are living in. And there was a symbolism in verse 3 of Isaiah 61 that is fulfilled in the ministry of Jesus. That he expects the church to continue. To simply do this, to provide for those who grieve. To replace asses with a crown of beauty to give out the oil of joy instead of mourning and to put on a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. To a group of people in exile, slavery and captivity that simply experience their fair share of grief, adversity and this promise is given in an immediate context but also a far-reaching one because the Messiah will come and he will do these things for people. The Christ will come and he will heal the brokenhearted. And he will set the prisoners free. But it simply says this is, uh, that this is the, what he's going to do uh, for those who simply grieve, who mourn, who feel despair. He promises to walk with us through the fire and to be constantly at our side in moments of sadness and pain. You see, the problem is, is we often preach that there is a um, trouble-free life for the Christian who follows Christ. And that is so often very, very untrue and simply creates problems and difficulties when people hit adversity and hit trouble. We sung a song this morning and it simply sums up the opposite of that when we simply, that God is sovereign over us, that the God is in control regardless of what happens. God is in control and taking care of us simply at our side in all moments of adversity in all moments of pain, in all moments of trouble. And we hold on to him and we trust him because of that. You see, we hold on to him in the difficult seasons of life and stay close to his heart. Why? Because he simply can do what we cannot do. He turns our despair into rejoicing. And in the most trying of our situations and circumstances if we face, he produces something in us that replaces the ashes that are poured onto our head. He gives us a crown of beauty. And the crown is always given to those who are victorious. No matter how victorious we feel in the life that we live, facing the circumstances and the situations that we face. And often we face incredibly difficult ones. And many people at the moment are facing great trouble and adversity and difficult circumstances. But Christ is with them. And he promises to do this to, to, to replace those to replace the asses with the crown of beauty you know the messiah comes with an anointing here because he's here to heal the damage that sin brings and sin has done great damage to people's lives and simply this great damage needs a great redeemer needs a great salvation and it can only be repaired by one who is prepared to pay the price john stotstead this the cross of christ he said every time we look at the cross christ seems to say to us I'm here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing, your curse I am suffering, your debt I am paying, your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. 
says the cross brings us all equally together. It brings us all together. No one person better than another. No one person superior than another. But the promise that Christ brings here, the promise that Isaiah firstly brings to the people that are listening, but then Christ brings is this. The ashes of mourning he gives to people a crown of beauty and an all of joy. You know, in the Old Testament, when there was a calamity or when there was trouble or adversity or when there was death, it says what people used to do is they simply went outside and they simply would have scooped up the ashes and they would have covered themselves in the ashes uh, as a sign uh, of the, the adversity, the calamity, the trouble, the difficulty that they were in. And it would be noticed for people around them that that person was suffering, that person had experienced a great loss, that person had experienced something that they were struggling to deal with. The ashes was a sign of that. And, and you know, when, when it says here that to replace the ashes with, with, the, with the crown, this crown of beauty, is simply what Christ Jesus does in the lives of people. It's almost like what we call a, a replacement, that, that he takes something and he replaces it with something else. He takes our lives that are living in darkness and he replaces it with light. He takes our despair and he replaces it with hope. He takes our abandonment and he replaces it with love. Uh, and all of these things are the things that Christ Jesus promises us when we read verses like we're reading this morning in Isaiah 61. Simply says, instead of the spirit of heaviness, he gives his people a garment of praise. You know, we often have particular outfits to wear at particular occasions, don't we? You know, if you have to attend a funeral, you, you know you to dress in, in black, it's sort of the standard black suit and black tie and that. You know, if you were, if you were going to a wedding, you know, funeral is a sad occasion, you wear black. You know, a wedding can be a sad occasion and maybe you should wear black hair. Like. But a wedding is a happy occasion. Wedding is a happy occasion. So, that, you know, nobody wants to go to a wedding and everybody's dressed all in black. Morning, there is an occasion for the outfit that you wear. And you see, here in this situation here, what was happening was this, the people would have understood this because in their despair and in their trouble and in all the thing, difficult things that were happening, they would have worn that, that in a sense, that garment, that, that thing that would have been sort of their, their despair, that would have illustrated their sadness. It would have illustrated the grief that they were going through. And once again, the promise is given that that will be replaced with a garment of praise. And you see, it says this, not because we praise God, because of what's happening to us. It's not that. We often get confused sometimes because people go through immense difficulties sometimes, huge trouble sometimes, and we're not praising God because we're going through them. We're praising God because in spite of those circumstances, in spite of our loss, in spite of our grief, in spite of our mourning, we can still worship God. We can still find some hope there within him because it's that that means he is sovereign over us. That even though through our tears and even though through our sadness and our despair, we can still worship him. And really when Isaiah speaks these words, he's saying, when you do that, he said, it's almost like 
God meets you at that place because of what he's done through his son, Jesus. And he replaces the sadness and the ashes and the despair and the grief with something else. He doesn't just take it away and leave you with nothing. He takes it away and replaces it with something that actually, it, it just helps you. It, it just gives you something. It just helps you, in a sense, in the circumstance and the situation that you're dealing with at that particular point. It's almost like the promises of God in the song we sung this morning, your promises are my delight. And as we sing those words, it's just a little bit of God's promises coming through in our heartache and our heartbreak and our grieving and our sadness that say, yes, that's what I've got to hold on to instead of all the other circumstances, all the other feelings that I'm feeling at the moment. And that's the promise that God gives us here in Isaiah. You know, in ancient times, it was customary for, you know, a grieving person to wear sackcloth, cover himself with ashes. A garment of praise is opposite of that sackcloth and ashes. It's simply that brightly coloured outfit, in a sense, that's just indicative of celebration. Not, not a celebration in the sense of, you know, oh, this stuff's not really happening to me, but indicative of this, that in all this stuff happening to me, there is something of me that can lift my voice, I can lift my hands, I can lift my heart to worship God, for I know he will meet me in that. Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her missionary husband, Jim, killed while he was trying to evangelise an unreached tribe group in Ecuador in the 1950s. She said these words, and I thought they were really powerful. She says, of one thing I am perfectly sure, God's story never ends with ashes. His story never ends with ashes. He always takes the ashes and replaces it with a crown of beauty. He always takes the mourning and replaces it with that oil of joy. It never ends with the ashes, never ends with the mourning, and never ends with the grieving. And this morning, we can hold on to that as a people gathered here in church this morning of all the difficulties and troubles that we're facing. His story, our story, sorry, never ends with ashes. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, your word makes a promise to us that in our hard times and our difficult times, our adversity and our trouble, that you not only meet us, but you replace our mourning and our grieving and our sadness. And we thank you for that today. And Father God, I pray that this morning for those with, with heavy hearts this morning, those with broken hearts this morning, Father God, would you just meet them where they're at today, Lord? God, would you just pour some healing into them, Father, today? That God, there is nothing that in these situations that is solved in an instant. But we do know as we keep praying, as we keep lifting our hands to you, as we keep worshipping, as we keep reading your word, little by little, Lord, you meet us. You meet us in our mourning. You meet us in our sadness. You meet us in our grieving. You meet us in our adversity and meet us in our trouble. And God, I just pray you would do that this morning. The promise of Isaiah was that he met the slaves in exile with the promise of God's word. That Jesus stood up that day and said, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight.
that even today, Christ Jesus is in the business of meeting those who mourn, those who grieve, and those who are sad. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen.